thank you so much, Greg, for joining me today. Really interested to talk about your family's journey, really, you know, and, and your journey in, in building out Tessie Mays and, and kind of what the, the mission and vision of the, the company and, and family and, and even the foundation. We'll get into that a little bit, too. But I usually like to start with individuals' journeys and and let's just talk about the journey to build the company and just build the brand. What was that like, you know, early on and what were some of the, the early stage like ideas and where did it even arise from? I think I just really wanted to do something. And everybody says that I was selling insurance and I was playing uh, professional lacrosse. And so I, I just kind of knew one, there's no real runway in professional lacrosse. It's more just like <laughs> a hobby where you get free equipment. <laughs> and then um, I knew insurance wasn't really for me. And so I just would go home and I would stand on my head during lunch and I would try and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so one day I came home and my mom had always made this like one dressing, right? It was hmm. olive oil, lemon, garlic, mustard, and sea salt. We had eaten it since we were probably around eight. I was eight, I'm the oldest of three boys. And it never got old. It's fabulous. It's our lemon garlic dressing today. Nice. And when we all moved out or when we were in college, she would make us this dressing in two liter bottles. And so, you know, I, I'm doing my normal daily routine of I'm going to come home for lunch and I'm going to make some food. And this two liter bottle of salad dressing is missing from my house. And I'm like, well, I know I didn't misplace a two liter bottle of salad dressing. So I start calling people and have, having some awkward phone calls. Hey, um, did you happen to come into my house and take my salad dressing? And so I finally got to this one guy who was like, yup, I woke up, was jonesing for it, knew the code to your house, hopped on my scooter, came over, took it, and now I'm eating a salad. And I'm like, wow. what? And so I just had this kind of like bizarre moment of this is, I'm going to start a salad dressing. This is what I'm going to do. This has never gotten old. No one can make it. My mom had given the recipe to a couple people. They couldn't do it properly. Everybody requested it, right? My brothers and I all played uh, sports in high school and then we played lacrosse in college. That was what our teammates were requesting for the tailgates. Make sure your mom brings that. The Long Island boys were like, make sure your mom brings that gravy, bro. <laughs> and so we're like, okay. And so there was like all of these moments of it's timeless, it's clean, it's delicious, it goes on anything. But then I had the normal assumption that everybody does when they're trying to come up with a new idea. I'm like, this must exist. I just don't know. Right. About it. So uh, I drove to Whole Foods and I'm like, if anybody's going to have it, they are. Clean dressing without thickening agents and citric acid and natural flavors and, you know, all the weird stuff. It didn't exist in 2009 and i'm like this is this is impossible so i drove to safeway exists drove to giant mm. to fresh market right nothing i'm sitting there in the parking lot and i'm like this can't be real and so i call my too many wife. signs huh too many yeah, signs yeah i'm like <laughs> so i call my wife and i'm like i'm gonna quit my job and i'm gonna start a salad dressing company and she's like that's the greatest idea i've ever heard yeah that's <laughs> like what are you talking which was another interesting omen, if you will. And so then uh, I called my mom and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna bottle your salad dressing and I'm gonna start a salad dressing company. She's like, that's never gonna work. <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't ask whether or not it was gonna work, I'm doing it. And so if you wanna participate, I'm gonna need that recipe and then you know, I'll take it from there. 
And so I just started cold calling uh, the local Annapolis Whole Foods and um, finally got in touch with, well, I got in touch with a lot of people. They all said, no, I didn't care. I just kept calling. And then I got in touch with a guy who said, yeah, I'll try it. So I called my mom and I said, I need the greatest batch of salad dressing ever made. I have a meeting with Whole Foods. She's like, what are you going to put it in? We don't, we're not a company. We don't have a bottle. (laughs) And I was like, don't worry about that. You just focus on the dressing. I will take care of everything else. And so we made a little romaine salad in a Tupperware container. Nice. And I walked in and the guy's like, it was, it was busy, right? It's the middle of sure. the day. So like, right, like the store, the store man. Yeah, I just walked into the okay. store and he's like, all right, man, where's, where's your product? And I'm like, oh, you're, it's busy. You know, it's lunchtime. I brought you a salad. And he's like, what? And so he takes this piece of wet lettuce out of this Tupperware container, licks the dressing off. He doesn't even eat the, the lettuce. And then he looks at me and he goes, you have something really special here you need to call the regional office. I'm like, well, why don't you call the regional office for me? And then I'll show up to the meeting. And so I, you know, got in the car and told everybody that the first meeting had gone really well. And then from that moment, I just kind of was like, all right, I'm willing to do anything to, to make this happen. Right. It was kind of proof of concept, if you yeah. will. And so then I bought some bottles and I designed some labels and got it for the next meeting where it looked like we weren't, you gotcha. know, a bunch of random idiots walking into a store with some salad dressing. And so the next guy was like, this is amazing too. Here's 200 pages of food manufacturing paperwork. If you fill this out, we will get you uh, a shot at the new Annapolis Whole Foods, May 1st, 2009, right? It's, it's February right now. And I'm like, okay. And so I went home and I just, first thing I did was sit down and Googled, you know, the first page of, it's like, what is your EIN number? I'm like, what is an EIN number? (laughs) You know, it's like, where is your certified kitchen location so we can audit it? I'm like, what is a certified kitchen? (laughs) And so then I just, you know, each question, I just got kind of the fundamental answer, I guess, but then I had to go find the physical location. Uh, and so I did that for 200 pages, basically. Wow. And um, we got a, an opportunity to do a demo at the grand opening of the uh, New Annapolis Whole Foods. And I made four cases because he told me that's what a normal salad dressing sells in a month, right? There was 12 bottles hmm. in a case. And um, we set up a demo. I got an embroidered, you know, apron and I'm standing behind this table with some lettuce, with some toothpicks and in these little cups, praying that people from my day job don't see me. And um, we sold all four cases of dressing in 30 minutes. Wow. (laughs) And so I went to the director of the East Coast of produce at the time. His name was Eric Brown. And I'm like, hey, man, I sold that dressing. And he's like, there's more in the back. I'm like, nah, I sold, I sold all of it. He's like, we opened 30 minutes ago. I'm like, yeah, these people really like this. <laughs> and he's like, what? And he's like, we'll go get more. I'm like, I have to make more. You told me this yeah. was for the month. And so uh, that happened every day for five days. Uh, we set a national sales record for Whole Foods. We ended up selling like 650 bottles of one dressing in one store. Wow. And then that just, you know, we took that momentum and just figured it out and just doubled down the whole way. 
Uh, we're 13 years in now, but that was kind of the initial idea to showing up for the demo. I mean, there's about a thousand stories in between that are sure, sure. ridiculous, but. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much there and, you know, we're, we don't have three hours, so I wish we did. As you look at like food, right? And, and you said you kind of, you know, you just told your mom, it's like, hey, I'm going to do this, right? Because there was no, this type of salad dressing in, in the market that, that you saw the, at the moment. Did you kind of know about, I guess, food, right? Like in general, like, did you know, like, hey, this is clean food versus this is not so clean, right? Like there's these different, you know, we'll get into sort of the, the, the line that you have now with sort of all the condiments, right? Like this, that is really to where that's really exciting to me is kind of having these, you know, natural clean condiments, because that really just hasn't been the case for a consumer to, to kind of have that. But did you look into food? Did your mom kind of teach you of like why she made it this way? Like why there are no additives? Why like, what was your sort of food education when you got into this? I think we always ate I would say we ate cleaner than a normal American family would have been eating in the 80s and 90s and in early 2000s. But we were still, you know, eating what what normal people were eating. It was just we had more home cooked meals probably than most. We took our lunch to school. And most of the time that was just kind of we were playing sports. And so we needed more food. We needed right. more volume. When I really started kind of looking on the back of labels was my freshman year in college when I was playing uh, lacrosse, my coach was like, yeah, if you put 20 pounds on, you know, you'll start as a freshman. I can do that. Mm -hmm. Well, he meant muscle. <laughs> I happily put on 20 pounds. Yeah, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, let's go. And so uh, I showed up for Christmas break and my mom was like, who are you? I hadn't gotten a haircut in a semester. I'm 20 pounds of like pancakes and beer and, you know, every, I'm just swollen. I look like somebody hooked me up to a freaking air compressor. And I was like, well, I got to turn this 20 pounds into muscle quick. And so I started you know, reading about protein and uh, processed foods. And so that really began the journey. And it was interesting because I was the only guy on my team doing it at that time, right? So this is 2005, 2006. Everybody else is having breakfast of like cream chip beef over biscuits and cinnamon rolls. And, and I'm sitting here having like hard boiled eggs and oatmeal and fruit. You know, it was funny because they would all talk trash about my breakfast versus theirs. And then I was a freshman and then I ended up starting over all of them. And you saw everyone's plates begin to change. <laughs> As, <laughs> as the season continued, you know, they're like, maybe this dude's on to something. And so then I just kind of kept that, you know, you just build off of it. Action creates yep. additional action. Curiosity creates additional curiosity. And so then but, the dressing just kind of verified that when I went to the store, looked in the labels, I'm like, well, why, hmm. why are they, what, what is xanthan gum? What is guar gum? Why are there six gums in this dressing? What does that do? You know, what is natural flavor? Like, I feel like, okay, I can say things are not like, what is that? Right. It's like, oh, right. that's a name of a chemical that it's they just... named natural flavor. I'm like, oh, okay. That's a little interesting. That's crazy. I want to, one, one, thing, one thing you said there was really interesting is that, you know, you had hard boiled eggs and like oatmeal 
and like some fruit or something, right? Not expensive things. No. Right? I think there's some kind of mis- there's a lot of misconceptions sometimes that eating healthy is unaffordable. Yes. And it's really much more of a choice. Like you said, right? You could eat the pancakes, you could eat, you know, everything else that your teammates had on. But you also made a choice to not do that, but it was also accessible to everybody, right? Everybody could have been eating exactly what you were eating. So I think there's, it's good to see kind of, you know, healthy food as you can go down the line now with CPG products and, you know, in store where we see that healthy food is really just about, you know, choices and is now more accessible and and affordable to to everybody, right? And if it's, hey, if it's 30, 40 cents more, but you get these, none of the gums in it, right? Like that's a decision that we as consumers, it's it's up to us at this point, because now as not before, it wasn't available. You didn't even have the opportunity to choose that, to choose that salad dressing or this type of ketchup, right? But now that we do, it, it just feels better as a consumer knowing that I have the option to do that and make that decision. And it's like nobody else's fault, but mine, the way I eat, which is, it's a, you know, it's a good feeling to have, but I want to talk about the the kind of expansion after the salad dressing, because, you know, like, as we said, I mean, ketchup, mustard, there's all these things that even when you're cooking, you have right at your disposal that you're pulling out of a cupboard, a cavern and stuff like that. But when do you look at the label, right? And what's actually in it, I guess, talk us through the decision of kind of expanding, right? And say, hey, the salad dressing is working. Let's look at ketchup, right? I'm not sure what the first one was, but I guess take us through the idea of, hey, let's expand into different product lines. Let's make clean food accessible and easy for the kitchen, right? It was really tied to our kids. Mm. Um, I have four kids now. My oldest is 11. My youngest is six. And so I think you can pretty much pinpoint the development of condiments around Mm. trying to get kids to eat. And so here we are, you know, we started our own manufacturing plant because co-packers couldn't get it done. Right. We're investing in the processing component. We're inventing new ways to make sauces and dressings. And then when it came to ketchup, there was no, there was no alternative at the time. You know, it was like, yeah, this one's made with agave nectar or something. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, like, is there a better way? Because at the end of the day, we're older and we can kind of grind our way through uh, healthy eating choices for the greater good or for whatever goals we have. A two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four, they don't care. They do not care. And so you're like, okay, well, what can we get these kids to eat? And so we came up with sweetening the ketchup and barbecue sauce with uh, pureed dates. Hmm. And so at the time, we were the first one to do that. And so everybody has since uh, basically copied that as a sweetener. But it was a great way for us to live into our kind of brand and value system for clean food, but still make something that tasted good. Now our ketchup in the beginning wasn't for everybody, right? Because Mm -hmm. people think Heinz 57, period, end of story. And so when you come to the table with an organic ketchup sweetened with dates, they're like, yo, what is going on here? (laughs) Now, it was good. We we have changed the formula a couple times since then, you know, to try and reach more people. Uh, but at the end of the day, what we wanted to do is we wanted to provide a positive alternative to just their products that you just can't trust at the end of the day. I think if you really boil all of this stuff down, yeah, the claims are just 
everybody's got some healthy claim or some, you know, clean claim. And at the end of the day, you look on the back and there's, there's a couple things that aren't so, so. And so then you start thinking, well, is this all just made up? And yeah. so our whole thing was like, we want people to be proud of the food that they're eating and the decisions that they're making. And that starts all the way back at the decision to start our own manufacturing plant, the decision to do all of our own R&D to kind of push the envelope on what was possible for, I don't want to say food science, but when we initially had our process for for clean salad dressing, you know, uh, our food scientists were like, this is impossible. This will never work. Mm -hmm. You need to have all these crazy, you know, chemical kill steps. And we're like, well, can't we just do it like this? And they're like, I can't. I guess you could, I guess you could do it like that. And just nobody takes the time to do that. So uh, that's really the condiment story. Uh, It was like, it was tied to kids. And then we just love condiments in general. I mean, who doesn't love barbecue sauce? Who doesn't love ketchup? Who doesn't love buffalo sauce? I mean, it's just like, it's all, it's all about good flavor at the end of the day. You can be as healthy as you want. It's about, it has to taste good. You mentioned, uh, you know, manufacturing, right. And, And kind of cutting out, all the things you kind of don't have control of, right? When you kind of go to the co-packers or go supplier manufacturers or like, can't, like you said, can you do this? Can you do that? Can't do that. It's like, all right, let's just do our own thing because then we don't have all these no's in our way. I guess talk us through that process. Cause I mean, that's equally as like crazy to go to, to, to go to whether it's investors or, you know, co-owners, founders and say, Hey, let's just start our own manufacturing facility. Right. Like <laughs> I'm sure you got some crazy looks when you, when you said that. We, well, everyone said we were complete idiots. If you if you kind of research the private equity consumer package good playbook, I guess everybody wants an asset light business. Yeah. Nobody wants uh, a pack of people with no manufacturing expertise to open a manufacturing plant and then get into all of that chaos. But at the end of the day, they uh, the people we were talking to just couldn't make it to our standard. And so then at some point you say, well, why, do, why does anybody buy it, mm. right? So people buy it because it tastes good and because there's trust behind it. There's a good story. Okay, well, if we remove the flavor or we reduce it by 15% and then we remove the trust of the ingredient panel by one ingredient and then, you know, we didn't sign our homes over and our parents' homes over to uh, open a manufacturing plant. Do people still care? I don't know. At the time, our decision was, I don't know if they're going to care. And um, my mom has only given me one piece of business advice. She's not not business oriented. And she just goes, Greg, do you remember Schlitz beer? And I go, no, I don't. I'm I'm too young for Schlitz beer. But I do know the name. Yeah. She goes, that was the most popular beer when I was in high school. I'm like, okay, that's cool. She's like, they changed the recipe and it stopped tasting good. And no Mm. one bought it ever. Don't do that. And I'm like, that's actually phenomenal advice. And we have kind of lived into that quality promise to our consumers come hell or high water, really. I mean, now we have three different kind of manufacturing plants with that same methodology behind it, where it's like, if you lose the quality, if you lose the flavor, if you lose the trust, you're just like everybody else. Yeah. Right. And so then what's the point of all of this risk and stress? (laughs) 
So third, you know, over a decade now, right, in, in doing this, you know, there there has to be a ton of sort of lessons learned and, and sort of things to to look back on. I, I guess what are some of the, maybe you know the top couple of things maybe that you learned over this last decade about, like you say, taking risks, going into you know a sector of business where there are some massive conglomerates, right? So definitely David versus Goliath, right? You know, it's it's very difficult to win um, in, in a space like this. So like, well, I guess what are some of just some, some advice for future founders that may have been thinking of doing something, like you said, maybe standing on, on their heads as well, trying to think of like, Hey, I want to do something with my life that kind of like means something is a little different. I guess, what are some of some easy advice or simple stuff that you could give that are, that are actionable for people? Read, you know, everybody's looking for a mentor or somebody to guide mm-hmm. them. I think you're your own guide. Trust your gut. Uh, so many people claim to be experts. I don't know if I have found one yet in 13 years. We've wasted a lot of money. (laughs) Wasted a lot of money listening to people that don't know what they're talking about. Everybody's got an opinion. uh, And and I think racehorses have blinders for a reason. You know, just stay focused. Put put your earplugs in almost. But then on the flip side, be your own customer. Yeah. You know, like really get into your product and also listen to the consumer. They're not always going to have nice things to say. You'll be able to filter through, you know, the crazy people sitting in a basement who just want to destroy uh, your existence. But you'll see some trends, you know, and, and we've made some good decisions when we start hearing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so I, a lot of it is common sense, but everybody likes to make it as complicated as possible. Yeah. And um, so I would say that. Amazing. That's great. I want to talk a little bit about the foundation and sort of the, the mission and, and vision of that and, and what was sort of the catalyst of doing it. Well, we wanted to give back. And it, again, it kind of started with customer service emails. You get to a certain size as a brand and everybody yeah. starts asking for, can you donate to this? Can you donate to that? Hey, I've got a, right. you know, Girl Scout cookie drive. I've got a marathon I'm running. I've got this, I've got that. And so, you know, we needed to narrow down and focus what we were going to be participating in and donating to. And so Baltimore is basically, I'd say 90% of it is a food desert. Mm. Um, Giant parts of Washington, D.C. are. And uh, I think they've since changed the name of food deserts, right? They change every year. I think now it's just classified as food insecure or those are food insecure region. Mm. Uh, But at the end of the day, nobody solves the problem. Right. It's 2022. And they exist every day. So instead of spending our time and attention on things that don't matter, why don't we go in and try and solve the problem? And so again, we started talking to consultants and lobbyists and this and that, experts and whatever. And they're experts at changing the name, not solving the problem. (laughs) And everyone, Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, you guys are this, you guys are that. They're not going to want people coming in. Nah, 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 nah. And we're like, well, what if we just start doing stuff? Yeah. Right. Creating right. just action, action yeah. to create action to see what happens. And so that just became the purpose of the foundation, which was 
uh, to eliminate food deserts and to provide kind of education and in support around kind of the nutritional whatever you want to call it in our country, right? Whether it's lack of food or obesity or lack of awareness. Nutrition pandemic is is what it is, right? That is very true. It is a nutrition pandemic. And the excuses for the nutrition pandemic are limitless. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you said it earlier about oatmeal and hard-boiled eggs. I mean, that is as cheap as it gets for the Mm -hmm. most part, but we like to make things more complicated than they need to be. Right. And we like to confuse people. Right. Cause I think the other piece is the diet insanity of what is health. Oh, well, you gotta be a V or you gotta be whole 30 or you gotta be carnival code or you gotta be biodynamic or you gotta be organic or you gotta be, you got to be gluten-free. No, now you need to just consume gluten. Make sure you're taking gluten droplets every morning. You're like, what? What are we talking about? And so at the end of the day, it's just kind of this, going back to almost the testing story, it's just this common sense approach of get rid of all of the additives and craziness, right? Look at your food. Can you read the ingredient panel? Does it make sense to you? And then just kind of start there. So when you, you know, you talk about the issue, right? How, how do you look at the foundation as, you know, like you said, let's take action, right? I guess like, so like, is it programs you guys develop? Is it working with nonprofits that already exist, right? In the community. And then, you know, they have sort of the foundation stuff built out and it's really just adding a pipeline of a product for them or advice, you know, it, like whatever it may be that, that to help them even more. Like what is some of the action that I guess the foundation has taken in and what are you seeing from it? Yeah, it, it was a mix of things. Um, the beginning, we, we called it crop circles and uh, we were going into these kind of food desert areas and then partnering with all of the nonprofits that were there but were real small that didn't have a platform to bring everybody together. And so we would go in and have these massive events and just invite all of the different community organizations there while we handed out, you know, bags of fresh produce to everybody. There were cooking demonstrations. We brought back Mm. chefs that had made it out of that area that had really kind of like made it on the national cooking scene. They came back. We brought music and DJs and we kind of made it like this, this almost like clean eating produce, you know, food festival. And um, then there was the kind of education and awareness component. And then there was the attempt to kind of phase one was that phase two was, well, let's leave this better than when we found it. So then how do we do that component of it? And so, you know, then the pandemic hit and uh, all of those things kind of, we pressed pause on them, right? Because you can't just roll into uh, different cities while no one can basically come out of their homes. But the overarching theme remained the same. Uh, And it kind of has turned into a little bit of of different hybrids, right? Like we partnered with this low-income private school in Baltimore City. It's a Mm. private school, but they were kind of on the national scene for football. And and they got so good, people wouldn't play them. And ESPN did a thing on it. And... um, 
they were getting, they had no pregame meals and their after game meals were like, I'm not kidding you, a plastic bag of like travel Pringles in a lollipop. And so we're like, well, we're down the street. So we'll donate all the meals, nutrition, advice, you know, meal plans, pregame meals. And so that kind of, when I talk about a hybrid, that kind of fell into the same type of methodology of what we wanted the Tessie Mays Foundation to be, which was, you know, our tagline is simplify food to amplify life. And that was a great example of that, right? You had a bunch of these like amazing athletes that were accomplishing amazing things without fuel, really. Right. And so then you're like, well, what happens with fuel? You know, do they get, do they get better? Do they learn? Do we change a couple people's lives? And then, you know, it becomes a six degrees of separation thing where it starts multiplying. But that was the thought process behind uh, supporting St. Francis. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, I love that idea. Right. But it's, again, it's just something that you kind of, you don't really think about. Right. But I guess, you know, being like an athlete too, right. Like you've kind of dealt with, you know, whether it's a pregame meal or postgame meal, like these, there's these things that you have to, where you have food throughout the day, but as an athlete, you know, your body does tend to need, you know, more nutrients, more fuel to, to even, you know, recover from itself. Right. And that's a really interesting way to look at it. Do you think that that would, you have the ability to kind of expand on that in further schools or, or I mean, not, you know, nationwide, but like just locally, like there's such, it's like there's such a need for that, like at a certain amount of scale. Well, I think the key now is just finding a rhythm mm-hmm. of normalcy in the world, which it, it looks like we're starting to get. Yeah. And so once we figure out, okay, what can we do? Where can we go with it? What's the normal cadence and rhythm of business so that we can then allocate our time accordingly? Because right then, then the other resource with the foundation became time, right? Mm-hmm. For the past, however long, two years, right? It's just been a question mark every day you wake up. Right, well, right. What fire do I need to put out today? Yeah. Right. And right now we're dealing with like a massive trucking issue and raw materials are drastically going up in price. And so again, once we can kind of find a little bit of normalcy, then we're going to kind of go back and go, all right, crop circles at these events, you know, let's expand on the school situation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But there's a lot to be done, obviously. Sticking with school for one second, then we'll we'll end on the last question. Is it, look, just as difficult it is to to get into big stores, right, and and really scale that business. You know, schools have always been, to me, a great opportunity to introduce healthy food, but it seems like the worst food goes to our kids, right, in, in schools, right? Has that been, have you had a conversation with, 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 with the school board or I guess local nonprofits? I guess, what is it like to get, you know, healthy products into, you know, school cafeterias? It right? is hard. Yeah. It, I mean, it is probably the most frustrating because what you want to do is you want to take it to the public schools. Yeah, for sure. Right. Private schools, there's healthy options and people right. are donating, you know, they have you know, Italian restaurant day, we're gonna have hoagies brought in and hooray for Wednesday hoagies. But like the public schools, I went to public school, it is the most disgusting food imaginable. Right. And when you go and have conversations about fixing it, it's like, no, we're good. 
And hmm. so you understand, if you, if you want to bang your head against the wall, go present clean, normal food options to a county public school food decision board. It <laughs> is, I mean, kind of my television. I went a couple of years ago because we're like, clean salad dressing and condiments in schools. This is going to be huge. It's easy sell, right? <laughs> this is so easy. And, and we went and um, obviously it just came down to price. I don't care what's in it. And I was sitting next to another table and it looked like they had calzones, right? Like breaded mm. calzones. Mm. And I'm kind of looking at them like, those are weird calzones that they're presenting for these kids. And, uh, and so the, the team that's making the decision walks up and it was like, genetically modified a chicken slop that was like oh, poured God. out in a shape of somewhat of a chicken breast oh. and they're like and with this new you know chicken breast 3000 we've increased the amount of you know additives to drop your price by oh 15 God. cents and everyone's like oh yeah yeah and they cut it open and it was just like there was nothing about it that was chicken. And that is what you're going against. Mm -hmm. So we're mm -hmm. here talking about, oh yes, you know, expeller pressed, organic first pressed sunflower oil from, you know, the Spain region as a biodynamic cover crop is the base of our oil. And they're like, in this slop over here is in the shape of a chicken breast. And you're just like, whoa, I don't, I don't know if we're going to be well received here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they just, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's infuriating to be honest with you. You should have went in with the tagline, not poison. Right. <laughs> so what are you guys presenting today? Not poison. <laughs> not poison. We have not poison here. So is it like a, almost like a, like a shark tank thing? Like you're pitching with other like when companies we, to get this yeah, like when we, contract? We had like a food show type thing. Oh, uh, okay. I got you. Uh, okay. But again, okay. it was like, well, what's the price? And and it comes like, down well, to this it, is yeah. it. They're like, well, we're paying one cent yeah. for a gallon. And you're like, yeah. huh. Yeah. <laughs> Ours is not that. Ours <laughs> yeah. is way, way more. <laughs> well, I usually like to like to end on the last question, just being a little bit about the future. And I, I know, like you said, it's been, you know, hurdle after hurdle the last couple of years. But, you know, as things settle down, maybe, you know, some normalcy comes what sort of the vision and, you know, really success for the next, let's say three to five years, I guess, what does success look like to you, right? Everybody kind of defines it a, a bit differently, but when you, you know, you chat with the team or, you know, you're just standing on your head, you know, marinating in thoughts of uh, what you want, <laughs> what you want to do going forward. Like, what are some of the things you think about as far as like, you know, success and, and what, what the vision, you know, now for the next decade might be? Yeah, I think it's just expansion of the product line, right? So the first is availability for consumers. Yep. So if you read an article about Tessie Mays or you listen to a podcast or whatever, you should be able to walk into a store and yep. then see it and live into that. Um, so I think we've done a very good job of getting into the right stores. There's still more stores to get into for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, there's an expansion component and then just brand awareness, I think is the other piece. I think the more people that know the difference between, yeah. you know, Tessie Mays and everybody else, 
everybody claims to be something, but when you dig a little bit deeper, they're all going to the same co-packer. They're all adding mm. weird stuff to it. And it, it's somewhat misleading, right? And so, you know, I think the brand awareness component of testing maze and then also, you know, the pride we take in manufacturing and the manufacturing infrastructure that we've built out and the people that we employ and the culture that we built to deliver that product, I think is going to be really important for the next couple of years for our company and brand to continue to grow. Amazing, my man. Well, thanks for taking the time. I mean, it's, this is, this is the, the hard work to build like a really impactful company on a lot of levels, right? Local employment, clean food, you know, stabilizing, localizing manufacturing, like these things are really hard to do, yes. right? But like they really, really matter. And a lot of the things that, you know, we want to change comes down to just consumer habits, man. At the end of the day, yep. you know, we as consumers have immense power, you know, and, uh, you know, my job is to kind of help people discover, you know, different ways and better options to, to spend money, right. And look at how, how that's used because it's immensely important for us to, to solve, whether it's hunger, whether it's education, you know, poverty, health, whatever it may be, right. It really comes down a lot of it to our consumer dollars. It's where we can play a huge role. And then obviously policy and everything else, that that's a different thing that a lot of us, we just don't have the ability to, to really play in that world and really affect it. You know, like you said, going back to the school example, right? Like it's so difficult to get healthy food in our schools. Like that shouldn't be difficult to do. <laughs> um, so uh, again, man, just, just, you know, thanks for, you know, keeping with the vision, right. And, and believing in, in yourself and the vision and, uh, you know, thanks for all the inspiring words and stuff, man. Keep up the great work and, you know, best of luck for the next decade. Thanks for having me.